0: If people are evicted right now, it can be a death sentence because you could become homeless, you could become exposed to COVID, you could have an interaction with cops.
1: Hey there, welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and uh, I'm moving today. I'm pocking, packing, packing boxes, books, so much dust, sneezing so much, it's just who loves moving? Nobody loves moving. And I'm moving from one rental in Santa Rosa, Northern California, Sonoma County, to another rental in Los Angeles. And that that's the best segue I'm going to get about our guest, Shante Singh from Tenants Together. Tenants Together is a nonprofit that is there looking out for the rights of tenants, especially in a really hard time like COVID, where so many people are having a difficult time paying their rent or paying their mortgages. And Tenants Together is also trying to keep an eye out for those folks being impacted uh, and having their mortgages, their mortgage payments threatened because it's, it's a chain of dominoes with COVID, right? And the dominoes go from the poorest all the way up to the homeowners, to the banks, but the banks never have to pay. Banks don't have to pay. The rest of us have to pay. Banks, nah, they get bailed out, uh, they're protected. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about tenants' rights, tenant protection in a time of COVID, and how that pretty much affects our entire society. It's a great conversation. So turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to Nice Work with Shanti Singh. Shanti, Shanti Singh from Tenants Together, welcome to Nice Work Podcast. Really glad to have you on today. How you doing?
0: Good, good. Thank you for having me. Stuff's stressful, but I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah, it's a stressful, it's a stressful world right now, all around. And you and your coworkers, teammates at Tennis Together, are right in the middle of a huge, huge conversation uh, here in the United States right now. That conversation around what do we do when we don't have enough money because of COVID to pay our bills, to pay rent. I'd say most of my friends, most of the people I know, are very concerned whether it's rent or mortgage, and we'll get into to both of that those uh, topics in a minute. So that's what you're working on at Tenants Together.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're we're pushing to cancel rent and cancel mortgages and stop evictions and really do all the things that need to be done in this moment that should have probably been done a few months ago, but. Um, we're firing on all cylinders right now, as, a, as just as not just as tenants together, but just as the housing justice movement um, and the tenant organizing movement in California and across the country.
1: And tenants together predates this COVID-induced housing crisis. So you've been working on these issues for some time.
0: Yeah. So tenants together has been around since 2008 it actually came from you know the the last financial crisis uh, in 2000 so in 2007 2008 where we were seeing waves of evictions waves of foreclosures we saw an attempt to abolish rent control in the middle of that so in California which thankfully didn't work otherwise i wouldn't be here right now but that yeah tenants together has been around since basically the last financial crisis and we've been organizing pretty steadily since then
1: now, have you always been based in San Francisco just at the heart of insanely expensive rent?
0: Our office is here. Like, our staff is all over the place. Uh, but like, yeah, we've been headquartered here. But since we're a statewide organization, we have organizers in in Northern California, across like in the East Bay, Sacramento, in SoCal, Orange County, Los Angeles, Long Beach. So we have organizers who are, you know, managing different places. We'd like to have more people in the Central Valley soon like really trying to branch out and have people everywhere. But yeah, we, our office is in San Francisco, so we always get to see like the best and the worst of it in terms of really bad, really worse rental price uh, prices, but also stronger protections than maybe other places in the state. So that definitely informs our perspective, but really like as a statewide org, we're pretty much, I think I'm only one of two people who are based in on staff who are based in the city proper, so.
1: What are you guys just deep into right now? What's the What's the... What do you call it? The front line? Yeah. What's the yeah. front line?
0: Uh, well, the front line right now. I mean, it's it's everything. I guess to step back for a moment, what our process has always been as an organization is that trying to empower local communities to organize in their communities, sometimes for renter protections and things in their cities. So it's really the first step is like organize organize your block, organize your building. Then build a citywide tenants union, then take that citywide tenants union and push for protections for your whole community, whether it's at city hall, whether it's through running a ballot measure, whatever you want to do, build that citywide infrastructure and then join all of our other 45 member organizations um, in contributing to and pushing for uh, state level policies that are going to protect renters and protect our right to organize and our right to shelter. So it's like it's like a bottom it's a bottom up strategy, but that's like the whole process that we go through. And so we're really at even in the way that we're addressing this crisis, like addressing all those different pieces of the process, because we're training tenants to organize, especially in their immediate interest. When we see cases of people being locked out illegally of their homes, which is happening a lot right now. Um, and disproportionately to black and brown renters in in California. You know, we're teaching people to organize their block. We're teaching them to do eviction defense. We're teaching them to know their rights and then go and teach other people to organize and teach other people to know their rights and have that infrastructure while we're also pushing with all of our member organizations who are already established to um, enact really important emergency protections at the state level to cancel rent and mortgages to do all of these things. So really, we, we still are engaging in that process, but in all, in all pieces of that process from the local to the state level and even to the national, you know, like we're part of a national coalition, uh, the Right to the City Alliance. So that whole like starting from the bottom, like starting from the building and taking it to the state capitol, like we're still, we're still doing that in terms of what our demands are right now as a movement, which again is to, to cancel rent, to cancel mortgages, to stop, and right now, what we're focusing on is stopping evictions in the middle of the pandemic, illegal or otherwise, for economic hardship and inability to pay
1: right. rent. So, how bad is it right now out there? We're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm reading articles that are just scary about evictions and about the months ahead where certain protections are going to be removed, have recently been removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us an idea of how bad it is.
0: Oh, man. It's bad. <laughs> uh, I think there's a couple things. One, yeah, there, there are federal protections expiring, like as, as we know, like there's the unemployment insurance benefit is currently being haggled over whether there's going to be one at all. So people are in limbo there. There was some sort of semblance of an eviction pause-ish at the federal level, not very strong. That's gone. And then we have local like, or state-level protections or directives for protections that are also kind of being jeopardized right now. And I'll get into that in a bit later. And then, of course, there's a hodgepodge of municipal protections that may be some of them that can be stronger. Some of them can be really weak. They expire at different times, depending on what city you live in. But the real crisis, too, is also it's not just related to the fact that some states, including possibly and hopefully not California, but are restarting the eviction process in court, that's part, that's one piece of it, you know, where people, if people are evicted right now, it can be a death sentence, because you could become homeless, you could become exposed to COVID, you could have an interaction with cops. That's another thing that's happening. So um, that's one piece. And then the second piece, I think that like kind of made may have made things seem better than they were in the past, uh, that are clearly not uh, that are not working now is that a lot of people were taking out loans from their families. They were foregoing necessary expenses for them and their children and their and their loved ones. Uh, they were using their stimulus check if they qualified for one, and they were using their unemployment benefits. All of this to be able to make the rent. And right. every single time the first of the month goes by, it gets harder and harder and harder to do that. Especially now that these benefits are expiring, and we're in a A point of uncertainty. Um, So even what little financial stabilization people had, they were putting it into their rent because like we like to say that the rent eats first, right? Mm -hmm. So you pay your rent, you can't do anything else because you'll be out on the street. And so I think that kind of delayed some understanding of how dire things were going to get because people were using all these stopgap measures to be able to make their rent. And that just keeps getting harder.
1: And you just can't keep doing that. Eventually, it runs out. It does. And think about what Shanti just said, you guys. It, it, it wasn't hyperbole. It wasn't exaggeration. But being evicted at this point during the COVID crisis can really be a death sentence. Okay. Now, a lot of us, we hear about evictions. We may not see it in our neighborhood because we're lucky and privileged enough not see it. But think about it. You get evicted. You have nowhere to go. Where can you go? You can go, oh, maybe there's for a little while you get some shelter uh, at a shelter. You're going to get COVID. The, the, the rates of the virus are so much higher out there on the streets and, and in the shelters that it is a true humanitarian crisis what's happening right now.
0: Yeah. And we already had major homelessness crises in our cities before this, like, especially, you know, I mean, I'm in San Francisco, we have at least 8,000 folks out on the street. Um, You know, there have been efforts to try to get them all hotel rooms, which we have this capacity for and the city can afford. Unfortunately, that hasn't totally come to pass here or in Los Angeles. But like, that is definitely, you know, those, those facilities, the, the, the shelters that we had for homeless and unhoused neighbors of ours were already pretty inadequate uh, mm-hmm. before this hit, and so now you know those people don't have a safe place to go. Um, and if people are evicted, like those numbers of unhoused people uh, will continue to grow. So we are and like these.
1: these recently ev- uh, sorry, sorry. Oh no, no, go just, for it. So I get, I'm sorry to get passionate about this stuff now too. Um, just remember when people are are being evicted and they go homeless during COVID. These are homeless people you see on the streets. And a lot of folks look at homeless people and go, oh, they have a mental health issue, they have a drug issue, et cetera, et cetera. Nah, a lot of people who are facing homelessness right now are the people working at Home Depot or people who are working in offices. These are just average, ordinary people who don't have the resources to be able to withstand record high rents all across the nation historically. There's a great quote on your website, Shanti, uh, which, which addresses what you just said and I just want to get it out, which says we want to end all homeless encampment sweeps and house people so they can safely shelter in place. There should be no vacant units or homes during a global health pandemic. Our collective ability to flatten the curve depends on everyone having a stable place to live. Man, it's so true. How many vacancies are there right now? Do you guys Um. have any idea of that?
0: It, uh, I don't know about there's the, the problem with these things is that there's no tracking, but I do know that at least in the city of San Francisco, in terms of how many hotel rooms there are that are mm-hmm. sitting empty, I think it's roughly roughly around 30,000. So if there are the the 8000, the count of 8000 um, homeless people in San Francisco might be a little low, but it's not close to 30,000. Like there is a hotel room for everybody. It's a matter of political will, not a matter of uh,
1: space. Now, speaking of political will, how receptive has Governor Newsom been?
0: Um, unfortunately, not that receptive. I, I it's, just, it's very disappointing, you know, especially like he's, he used to be the mayor of San Francisco. So like people right. around here know him. But he hasn't been receptive to a lot of demands. Like basically like the sort of eviction moratorium, quote, quote and I'm putting that in air quotes, eviction moratorium that he like that he enacted in uh, back in April when things were really taking off. It's not really a solid eviction moratorium, which is that's why that's one of our demands that we're working on this month. What it really does is it kind of gives it gives local municipalities leeway to pass their own eviction moratoriums. When you multiply that by 500 municipalities, some of whom may not have city legislators who are friendly to renters, mm-hmm. then you just have this very complicated hodgepodge of some protections, no protections. Um, And it's really basically dependent, like on what municipality you live in, or if you're an unincorporated area, I guess your county authority with governor Newsom, like he's just kind of delegating it downward, which again, if you multiply that by something on the order of 500 municipalities in California becomes chaos and that, so that's one piece of it. And the other piece is, yeah, I mean, he hasn't really done a lot to address all of the organizations and the groups and people who are really reaching out to him on this issue beyond just enacting that moratorium. And it's kind of a, it's a bummer, especially because, I mean, he, I think Elon Musk tried to get in touch with him and he got uh, about, about reopening the Tesla factory during the pandemic and Newsom answered him right away. So, I mean, we don't have a billion dollars, but I would, I would love to have that kind of direct line that Elon Musk does. I'm sure a lot of renters would too.
1: I sure, I'm sure a lot of us would too. Get him on the super nice podcast. That'd be Mm -hmm. great. Uh, Elon probably well, maybe Newsom. I don't know. Newsom has better hair. He does. Than Elon. You know, he has great kind of Pat Riley 1980s NBA basketball hair.
0: No, not if a single. If you guys don't
1: get that reference, it's okay. Not out so of place. Moving up from that, if there's a change, again, yeah. a political podcast, so I have to say if there's a change in president, do you see a significant change in the acceptance and, and adoption of, of your demands?
0: Um Honestly, it's really, it's really hard to be sure. Um, I don't really see the thing that's difficult is that, you know, one of the one of the tests that we've seen at the federal level about how receptive people are to, to, to our demands is um, I believe uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar put forward a bill to cancel rent and cancel mortgages. So both of right. those things during the pandemic to uh, basically provide more affordable housing funding for permanently affordable and subsidized housing in the future So there was a lot that was that a lot that was in there. It was a very great. It was a really good bill. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the traction that it got from some folks who are like on the left, but more in the center, leave it at that. It didn't, you know. So I think it would still be. It would be easier. Like certainly there wouldn't be this kind of outright, you know, uh, racism, classism, obstruction that we're seeing right now, but I I still think, you know, knowing that we're also in a democratic supermajority state and it's been hard to get basic protections Mm -hmm. passed just because the real estate industry has so much money and so much power in the legislature. I still think it would be, I still think it would be quite difficult. Um, And and I was kind of dismayed to see that Congresswoman Omar's bill didn't get more co sponsors It did. It got quite a few, but like it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't enough to really like get through the house and like be taken as seriously as it should have. Um, Well, and
1: that's, I mean, that's who she is too. I mean, we just had two days ago, Barack Obama did not endorse AOC, so, right. you know, you've yeah. got the old guard and you've got the new guard. That's all I'll say about that. But the reason why I kind of took you through the the Newsom, the, gosh, is it red and blue thing? Geez, would it be different under a different president? Wasn't really to call out the <laughs> lack of progressivism by either party. Uh, it was more to point out that if we're going to make change, folks, we have to do it. It has to be a yeah. we the people thing. It has yeah. to be a bottom up. We cannot expect... Uh, dollar-driven legislators to do anything to help the least among us, right? That's the point of the super nice club. That's the point of super nice people like you and your organization. This is what we're trying to do. We have to fight against the tide of a consumptive capitalist society that, when I'm just talking about the way our government works and the way our our monetary system works and the way uh, our, our culture tends to be, but it doesn't have to be that way. It isn't inherently that way.
0: No, exactly. The nail on the head. And you know, I mean, we're tens together as a five oh one C three, so I'm not gonna I wasn't gonna comment on candidates anyway, but that's exactly it. Like the inertia the inertia is because of because of money and power. Mm-hmm. And that inertia isn't really red or blue. Um, sometimes it can take different forms exactly. depending, but that it's the same it's the same issue and we're seeing a mind boggling level of inertia right now in California. In our state so- legislature.
1: Canceling rent, you also, there's a hashtag movement out there, hashtag cancel rent. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned in the same breath, canceling mortgages. And I want to talk about that for a second. Do you think it's possible to do one without the other?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they, I think, I think both need to, I think the reason they come together is because Mm -hmm. there's a, there's an inherent risk. There's something that like tenants together, you know, what we ran into because we formed as an organization during the foreclosure crisis. Right. What we often saw was that, you know, these uh, like smaller landlords, you know, who can be a mixed bag? There are some great small landlords. There are some not great small landlords. But, you know, they uh, as people foreclosed on their rental properties, those properties would then get bought up by Wall Street and get turned into really predatory rentals. And we are concerned, I think rightfully so, like Tenants Together formed to fight that in 2008. We're concerned that we're going to see an even bigger version of that this time. And so that's why we tie those demands together. Because like, you know, I mean, canceling rent is obviously, as an organization that represents renters, like that is something that we focus on quite a lot, like more, I would say a little bit more. But mm-hmm. we're not decoupling that in any way from can't, from from mortgage relief. I think like you know, just to back to uh, Ilhan Omar's bill, like it's a, she didn't do that either, right? Like they're in they're linked to each other because we want to make sure that like the the folks who are actually dependent on their rent incoming rent uh, to pay off their, their mortgages, mm-hmm. who are actually like smaller community based landlords, don't get. Right don't get taken to the cleaners by Wall Street again, because that's going to be bad for all of us. So I think those are the ways in which I think those two things are really linked and should go together.
1: I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And anytime you have a conversation about canceling rent, some homeowners are like, hey, wait a minute, you know, Yeah. <laughs> what about me? I can't, you know, like my, my landlord, you know, uh, I told them early on, like, Hey, don't worry. I'm going to pay the rent. You know, I've, <laughs> it's going to be covered, and they're like, "Oh, thanks for letting us know," because you know they had real concerns, right? Because this is a, a significant part of their income, and yeah, if you don't pay the rent, they don't—they lose the house. And like you said, all of a sudden, the big banks are owning up even more chunks of America, and it's often the poorer parts of America that they're grabbing during big recessions.
0: Yeah, right? and and it's
1: and it's lot- not always American banks, too, right? These no. get resold to Chinese companies, and et cetera, et cetera. So, what does it look like? Is it realistic to put put a freeze on mortgage payments to the big banks? Do they do the banks fight back and say, "Gosh, if we did that, if that happened, we'd go under"? What's where's the resistance?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I do think I think there is probably resistance coming from banks. I also just think there's resistance coming from legislators because they're just afraid of the concept. They're afraid of the concept of canceling rent, canceling mortgages. I think that's the first thing even though like it's a broadly popular policy like I think Data for Progress just did a poll uh a couple months ago where they polled Californians of all political stripes uh, ages races genders they just said 75% of all Californians regardless of what your political affiliation or anything is support canceling rent and mortgages during for the duration of the pandemic it's a very popular demand it's common sense to most people but then when you go and talk to a lawmaker they're like, whoa, 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 like, ghost, hold up, this is, this is, I don't know, I don't know if I want to say they would say it's like communism or something like that, but they would, uh, Right. there's certainly a lot of institutional resistance, because the idea is, it doesn't, like, I think the the, the scale of the crisis hasn't registered, so like, there's still kind of a, a an inherent incrementalism to the way that they go about things. Uh, certainly, I don't think, you know, it's interesting because certainly some pockets of real estate, smaller landlords do have been like, yeah, we need mortgage relief too. Um, the bigger pockets of real estate, like for example, Blackstone, which is the sing- largest single family home rental landlord in California. I mean, Blackstone just decided not to pay like a couple hundred million dollars of loans or something. Like, And they're not mm-hmm. in any danger of defaulting. They're just like, we don't really feel like paying it right now. We'll, we'll wait, you know, and they're probably going to leverage that and go buy some more property if we don't stop them, you know? So it's like kind of amazing that you have these, uh, these smaller, like smaller landlords who are like depending on like their rent to make a, make their mortgage. But then you have these giant behemoths who are just like, I just don't feel like paying half a billion dollars or whatever today. But yeah, Uh I mean, I think the resistance, it's not the first time we've seen this even this year, we've seen this with other demands. Like something can be incredibly popular And it's just not registering at all in the political system. And like it kind of the the, the, you see that with Medicare for all too. the contrast is really jarring. Um, And I think that's I mean, that's just because the system has itself like kind of decoupled itself from the needs of people where they just all of these ideas that are actually common sense to most of us who are out there struggling are just wild and anathema like to people in power.
1: Now, is the cancel rent, cancel mortgage movement, is that nuanced at all in terms of um, you cancel for the small home, like the mortgages, you cancel for the small, but you wouldn't for the Blackstones? Or is it just right now at the point of just more of a sweeping, generalized idea? Did uh, the legislator you mentioned earlier, did she have some specifics around that, around who would be involved and who wouldn't?
0: Um, she had, she had some, it was like mostly targeted smaller landlord relief. I'm actually blanking okay. on okay. some of this, but like super hyper specifics right now, just cause like that bill, like I, that bill kind of has been moving for like a couple months, but Oh, Okay. Um, it, and I'm kind of
1: geeking yeah, out too. I'm want, like, "Ooh, what about this? What about that?" You know. Yeah, we definitely, let's write it together right now on this podcast. Can we write a bill? Let's yeah, write a bill. Get the rest it. of your gang in here. We'll do it. You we'll know? do
0: it. But I mean, Wall Street should pay its fair share. I mean, it's profited off the like it just 12 years ago it profited off the
1: misery of small
0: property owners. And it's always, I think, one of the things that we commonly see, which is really frustrating over the last 10 or 12 years in our advocacy, is that every time we try to pass any kind of modest renter protection, a bunch of Wall Street money comes in and like big landlord money, like even within California, there are a lot of multi-billionaire investors and stuff. And they come in and they say, we can't have this basic tenant protection uh, we're just, you know, representing the mom and pops like we care about the mom and pops. And it's like, no, you don't like you're waiting for them to default and take their stuff. So like I uh, but they always use that rhetoric because they they know that they're like not gonna if they just go out and say like, hey, I'm I'm Blackstone, I'm equity resident, equity residential guy or whatever. Like, you know, they want to they, they kind of try to like co-opt uh, small landlords problems as their own. Um, and they do that when there isn't a pandemic going on. So now that there is a pandemic going on, you know, and they're, cut, we're wary of them trying to do the same thing while trying to screw those same people over, pardon my French, but like, um, but, uh, and so in terms of the kind of policies that come out of that, like, yeah, I mean, we got to get relief to people who actually need it. I, I For in terms of property, in terms of property owners, developers, landlords, etc. Um, and Wall Street, honestly, should they've been profiting, just like they profit off of tenants and exploit tenants, they've been profiting off of and exploiting, you know, smaller property owners, they should they should pay their fair share. And that I think that's how we feel about it.
1: I I would say the super nice club agrees. Um, I don't want to rub salt in a recent wound here. But it looks like you guys just suffered a bit of a setback in Sacramento, California. Is that right?
0: Yes, uh, I, I well which one I don't ever know. <laughs> oh
1: no, you had more than one. Well, the Kings lost a couple nights in a row, not the basketball one. Uh, it says court sides with real estate, Sacramento City Council over Sacramento renters.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, that, that back last year, um, there's a very broad coalition of, um, of groups, uh, the Sacramento Tenants Union, Sacramento Democratic Socialists of America. Um, public advocates, uh, tenants together, uh, ACE, which is Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment. So, like nonprofits, tenant organizing nonprofits, left groups like DSA, um, a bunch of labor unions, including a few uh, SEIU, Service Employees International. A lot of the Bay Area and Sacramento SEIU locals, all of these housing organizations. We were all in this big coalition to gather to get rent control on the for the city of Sacramento not the state mm-hmm. level, uh, on the ballot for the city of Sacramento. And, you know, I think they collected over 44,000 signatures, which is like almost like one in 10 Sacramentans, I think. I think the population of Sacramento is like 450, 500,000. So these guys got 44,000 valid signatures from the people all over the city of Sacramento uh, to put this measure on the ballot. And what ended up happening was that the city council and the mayor in response unfortunately passed a much weaker temporary measure so uh, uh, for rent control so it's like uh, it's a it's a higher rate you can increase it by a much higher rate of amount like something like between our, ours was five percent theirs was like six percent plus inflation which could be up to nine percent every single year and then they yeah, which made is like it no control that's no control yeah and then they they made it they made it temporary so it actually expires in five years. So they passed this law and then said, basically, now that we've done this, there's no need for your ballot measure, which is not how citizen initiatives and direct democracy or democracy in general works when it works. You know, you can't just uh, you can not just say that and like kind of try to overturn the will of citizens like it is pretty enshrined, especially in California, that you that any group of citizens, if they meet the qualifying number of the people can go and change the city charter whenever they need to, right? And that's something we do in cities all over the place. Like San Francisco has charter amendments all the time, right? That come through citizen initiative. And there's a very high threshold to do that. But once you meet that uh, of signatures and that are validated very carefully that you have to get, but once you do that, like that is, that is the right of Californians in their cities. You can change your city charter, Um, and so they, they've basically the city of Sacramento tried to argue that the measure that our ballot measure was unnecessary, uh, because they'd passed a weaker version. Um, they've tried to argue even just against the legitimacy of the, the ballot initiative process itself. And that's where you get into really dangerous territory because like that is something that all California cities, charter cities, especially like that is, that is something that we do all the time. And so, when you're kind of getting to the point where you're 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 arguing in court that it's actually not good for the people to be able to directly change the laws, like when we have had that's like every California voter's right. That's where it starts to get dangerous. That was where they were kind of leaning with this argumentation. And so, the judge there, I think there's an appeal in process, but the judge ruled okay, to ask- yeah, the judge ruled to strike it from the ballot. I haven't been able to look for at the actual reasoning behind it, but I have seen what the reasoning has come from from the the city of Sacramento, and they've said some pretty wild stuff in the press, including you know comparing the entire signature collection process to like uh, you know well you you just people just sign stuff at a grocery store and whatever. I was like actually like that's it's a little more complicated than that, but you're also now attacking the entire idea of like getting signatures from citizens for a ballot initiative and like changing the law, which is a huge part of what makes California work when it works.
1: Right. So this is how it goes. And this is, you can only find people at grocery stores or in front of, uh, you know, where did I, I used to do it. I've done that before, but for, Voter registration. And yeah, Yeah. it was grocery stores and and I think uh, a local hardware store and...
0: Farmer's markets.
1: Yeah. It's not a fun job. People look at you sideways and try to avoid you. They pick up the phone. I do it too. It sucks. I do it too. I see somebody holding a thing and sometimes I'll just pick up my phone because I just don't have time. Yeah. But sometimes I'm just like, man, and I don't want to look somebody in the eye and say, I'm not interested.
0: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard.
1: So it is hard work. I'm a supporter of it. I'm also a hypocrite.
0: Uh So... (laughs) But, yeah, it was just it was very galling how they were willing to kind of attack the legitimacy of that entire process just because, yeah, they, that's absurd. just just to try to stymie a right control ballot initiative. that was like that still has to be voted
1: on, by the way. if there's you, no if other was, way that we would have legal was, marijuana if it weren't for that, I yeah these guys
0: exactly. this, this <laughs> argument, this argument, like this was just to put it on the ballot. It wouldn't have even passed the law. So like if mm-hmm. we had if we if we went appeal, right? But, like, if, like, even if even if this goes on the ballot, people still have to vote on it. It still might fail. Like they were just trying right. to keep it off the ballot. Like they want the question to not even be debated. Like they don't even want to give like Sacramentoans the opportunity to slam talk about it.
1: Dunk to pass during COVID.
0: I mean, I think you they know that
1: eighty two to you know nine or something like
0: that. I think I so, think they know that. So that's probably why they did this.
1: But I don't know. And you can't always answer, you may not have an answer for this, because I know in the nonprofit world from personal experience, sometimes there just isn't, uh, there aren't a lot of glimmers. But is there anything in the good news front? Are you guys making some significant progress somewhere? Something good to report?
0: Um, Right now, everything's in flux. But like, I just, one thing I am really inspired by is just how many people, how many people are mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. And how many people are actually joining the movement and like wanting to organize like we've been having, you know, all of these online, of course, socially distanced like trainings against like illegal lockouts, we've been having like workshops about canceling rent, we've been doing like political education and teach ins about race and housing. Um, We know we're we're putting obviously all of these like petitions and things out and like trying to, you know, or, or, or we're firing on all cylinders. But in terms of like the number of like people who are coming to like, you know, uh, to like try to become volunteer counselors for our hotline, which is like, mm-hmm. we have a free statewide hotline, uh, to counsel people on their rights. Like the number of people who are coming to like organize for the first time is really like overwhelming and, and impressive and awe-inspiring. Cause like our, our, meetings are always full. Like, I mean, they're not, thank God it's a zoom call. So you can have hopefully as many right. people as you want, uh, up to 200, I guess. But sometimes we even have more than 200 people sign up for wow. stuff. Wow like wow. it's yeah because people really want people, to know what
1: to do where where can they sign up where, where can we send people if they're listening right now and where can i can i post
0: um anything like so tenants together if you either go to tenantstogether.org, you sign up okay. for the email list if you're an email person okay. or we're just at we're at tenants together on facebook twitter instagram like you'll see our workshops and stuff on there um, and all of the stuff that we're doing, like, so, okay, so th- there'll be like for different things that you want to see, like, yeah, just, just follow us on social media or sign up for our emails and like, you'll be plugged into everything. Cause we, you know, we try to share in advance, like all of the different things that we're planning and we're always planning different. We're always planning new things. There's something going on every week. So.
1: Great. Well, I'm going to sign up. I'll sign up on the email list definitely to get, uh, alerted to workshop signups. And if you're listening to this really strongly consider it. Just because, hey, you don't know if in a month or two you might be volunteering and your volunteer work might be helping some of your best friends or coworkers or family members or even yourself, because we've got a ways to go on this COVID battle and the financial difficulties not to be uh, a Dougie Downer, mm-hmm. that was, you know, gender specific. I think that was appropriate. Um, we need people out there just at least to get informed, just to learn more so we can have better conversations. This is why Shanti's on this podcast right now, just so that we have, I'm pretty much illiterate about this. Now I'm semi-literate. Uh, signing up to the email and, and doing some workshops, I'll be, you know, able to have a decent conversation around this and get other people involved. So I encourage all of you out there to do the same. Shanti, what got you into this? What, was, has this been your passion? Are you just, what, why are you here?
0: Um, let's see. I moved to, um, I moved to San Francisco about six years ago. Yeah. Six years ago. Uh, and I basically, I came here, uh, I always wanted to move to SF. I always wanted to move to the Bay area. I just thought it was beautiful and amazing Mm -hmm. uh, from the other side of the country. So yeah, I moved here, but I moved here with a tech job, uh, that I didn't really enjoy very much, um, to put it lightly. Um, and so, uh, didn't really work out after a little while. And you know, I found myself struggling to pay rent, for sure. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do without a job. Um, I found something like, you know, luckily I, I moved in with the person who's now my husband. But, you know... Oh, wow. That if, if worked I, out. If I hadn't, if you hadn't let me in, I wouldn't be here. Um, but like, <laughs> but also, you know, I started working in on a political campaign um, that was in my neighborhood, just like knocking on doors, being like a field organizer, because I had done that work before, way back when, like politics e things. And yeah, I started... Uh, I met all the tenants in my neighborhood, you know, I mean, I knocked on like thousands and thousands of doors in my community, uh, which is in the northeast part of San Francisco. And like I met uh, all of these tenants and like, you know, especially the ones sometimes people slam the door in your face, but a lot of times people don't and people want to tell you like how they're suffering, you know, how is this candidate going to help me? And it's all about it's all about tenants rights. It's all about rent. That's what it's especially in SF. That's like it's housing, housing, housing. So it just seemed like the natural thing to do. So over time, you know, that campaign ended, we won the race. That's great. I didn't have a job. That wasn't great uh, anymore. But I, you know, I did try to, I did go back to tech a little bit to kind of like have some savings or things like that. And and I started doing all of this like tenant organizing land use and housing work on the side. Uh, You know, I met all the people in the housing justice movement in San Francisco and across the state. I like, you know, started doing it in my spare time, basically, which was kind of exhausting. Um, obviously, I joined my local uh, DSA chapter and did a lot of work there, organizing with runners across the city. And then uh, eventually I got a job out of it. Uh, so um, uh, the past executive director of Tenants Together, who's not, not at, with the organization anymore because he's a city council member now, um, and he actually just passed a eviction moratorium for San Francisco, so good for him. Um, but you know, like I just kind of like built things up in the community, like built, built, build up a little bit of a reputation in the community. And, and, uh, yeah, I got hired for tenants to buy tenants together at the end of 2017. Um, so it was only a matter of time before I was doing it full time. I'm very glad I could do it full time. I couldn't wait to actually do it because like, it became very clear over time that that was you know, the thing that I wanted to do. And that made my life feel rewarding.
1: Isn't that something when you're working for a nonprofit or an NGO, however you want to say it, uh, that ability to, one, not make a lot of money, which is great, <laughs> um, but more importantly, go to work no matter how frustrating, no matter how depressing it can be and how some days it just feels like you know uh, maybe you're not getting anywhere or people aren't listening or they're all mad at you, <laughs> it's rewarding, right? You feel like you are contributing and that's so valuable. I've, I don't know if people who haven't done it really get that the real the real value of that is is terrific. And it's why people in the nonprofit world often get paid less, although they shouldn't because their expertise is necessary. They should be getting paid the same as they're getting paid in tech or more. How has that been for you, the the feeling of working on something that you're passionate about in terms of your quality of life just when you go home?
0: It's, um, I mean, it's, if you, it's amazing. It makes it all worth it. You know, like I don't, I, I would be lying if I said I like came home every day and was just like, oh my God, everything's wonderful. Like usually you have to hear and deal with a lot of very horrible stuff, but you'd feel like a, a, you feel like a solidarity with people. You feel like you feel a sense of purpose for sure. You also feel like you know more about the world around you and how it works. I think that can give you uh, and, and more, and more empathy and respect for your fellow human beings, right? Because like, you're kind of, you're kind of in it with, it, in the thick of it with everybody who's really going through something. Um, and so like, it gives you like, I think like wisdom, empathy, clarity, like it makes you a better person, like from the most selfish part of it, but it mostly like, it just gives you a sense of, it gives you a sense of real solidarity. And I think that solidarity and that sense that like, you know, you are contributing to something that is a lot bigger than yourself like I that that that, that mitigates the, the sadness and sometimes the horror stories that you see uh, doing this work.
1: It's it's absolutely nice work. Um, do you have something that you can challenge the super nice club members and listeners to do? Just to uh, you know, a little we have what we call the super nice challenge. Just a little something they can do once every day, twice a day, once a month—it doesn't matter—but to make their world, the world, uh, a little bit nicer.
0: I do actually, I have, um, and I can send you the links so you can post it or I can, uh, you can look at it on the tenants together website or on the Twitter or Facebook. Um, but right now we have three things that we're really doing, um, which is, uh, one, we're asking governor Newsom to enact a real eviction moratorium. Two, we're asking the, uh, the courts, the judicial council in California to keep pausing evictions because they're thinking of unpausing it. Um, and then three, we're asking for, uh, a bill called assembly bill 1436. We're asking our state legislators to pass it, um, because that will, uh, prevent, uh, evictions during the pandemic related to economic hardship. So those are, that's like, that's a, it's a trifecta of like, just, and they're one minute petitions. They take a second to sign. It won't take that long, but if we can get thousands and thousands of them out to people, uh, then like where people are going to start paying attention. Um, and I guess like in the, if you really have time, um, especially if you speak Spanish, but it's okay if you don't, um, we're looking for like, there are so many people calling into our hotline across the state and it's entirely volunteer run. If you want to be a volunteer counselor ever at tenants together or anywhere else, like it will, or your local tenant organization, not only will you like have, not only will you be able to like help, your own situation. If you have a landlord, like you know your rights and so you can teach other people your rights and protect your neighbors, but you can also help counsel a lot of tenants who really need help and often come to us because they don't have any resources around them.
1: Great. Okay. Those are great challenges, you guys. So do them, do, do the three for sure. And when you're done doing those three, share them with the people around you. It's cool to, to, to post on Facebook, social media, do that, but share them with the people around you that is in the room, right? In your house. Uh, because those are the people that you're spending a lot of time with during COVID, right? So proselytize, please. It's important. If you're passionate about this, if you like what you're hearing, just get the word out there. As far as being a counselor goes, that's incredible. If anybody can do that, anybody wants to be a counselor and you can, you go through it, message Super Nice Club. We will send you a hat or a shirt as a thank you for doing it honor system okay you guys can all take advantage <laughs> of it please don't we're not a, a huge you know profitable uh small organization but seriously if you if you become counselor we will show you some gratitude with a little bit of swag from the super nice club um lastly part of this do you have a question for me shanti one question any question uh,
0: let's see um Oh, yeah. Let's see. Lizzo. It's like what 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 inspires you the most about the historical moment we're in right now?
1: What inspires me the most about the historical moment? Well, oh boy, I, I get really I'm up and down. You know, I get so for like the guy who was the super nice club, I get to feeling not very nice quite a bit um, yeah, in, this, in this in this <laughs> historical moment. But I feel I like the way people are getting fired up. You know, I really do, because they have to. You know, they have to. I've wondered for a long time, what will it take in the United States? How hard do people have to get pushed before they really genuinely push back? I I don't believe that we are really genuinely pushing back yet. And by we, I mean me. I mean uh, middle-aged, middle-class, white America still isn't pushing back. But more and more of us are going, hey, I want to be an ally. Hey, I want to get involved. And what inspires me is the conversation is getting super nuanced. Ah, I'm getting it. I'm getting the inspiration now. This is the answer. The answer is, I'm inspired by the nuance of the conversation. Things like, hey, I want to be an ally. Let's say to the BLM, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody from BLM says, hey, I don't need you as an ally. I don't want you as an ally. Sit down and listen. You know. And some people go, oh, that's offensive. I don't like that. You know. Um, and other people realize, hey. That's okay for you to say that. That's the way you feel. Fine. I don't want to use the word ally. Show me how to support you. You know, and so these conversations that are difficult, these conversations that allow different perspectives, you know, we've gone through so many years, and I'm talking out of my ass here. um, (laughs) No, you're not. But we've gone through so many years of just sort of generalizing how each side should be, right? And being reactive when we aren't appreciated, you know, and by we, again, I'm talking about the majority of America, like, we want to be recognized, right? We want to be recognized as an ally. We want to be recognized as being, you know, uh, as not being racist, right? We want right, credit right. for being normal. Right, And it's crazy. But we're starting to have these nuanced conversations and more and more people are starting to feel, I think, maybe, comfortable with not needing that, not wanting that. Just being nice because it's how normal humans are, right? Not asking for recognition. I think... That part has been inspiring to me. You know, the gist of it is that I like the kinds of conversations we're having. And at the same time, I'm frustrated when I see conversations not developing because people are being defensive.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's just, it's a matter of time. It's pushing forward. We're pushing forward.
1: Yeah, we're pushing forward. There's growing pains. What was I just reading in uh, Rushkoff's book, Team Human? And he's talking mostly about... uh, The internet and online stuff and how damaging it is right now, right? The possibility of the internet versus the reality. And the reality is it's being used as a consumptive platform. And it is is a hurting connectivity. But he's reminding us that, you know, when you have a baby, there's growing pains. And that possibly the birth of this thing... Uh, we're going to find a lot of beauty and a lot of growth. So the growing pains during COVID, as COVID really exacerbates racial issues and income inequality issues, uh, it's there's a real ugly part of America and the world coming out right now. And I'm hopeful those are growing pains.
0: Yeah, I, I think, I forget who said it, but someone says like, you know, uh, the, the old world is dying, but the new one is struggling to be born.
1: You know what? That was a way shorter way to say everything I just did. <laughs>
0: No, you may me think so about pretend, it.
1: pretend I said that. Pretend <laughs> I said that. That'll be good. Uh, hey, if you are a Super Nice Club member or if you're listening to this podcast, you are a sponsor of this podcast. All right? Podcast doesn't accept any money. It accepts just people being nicer. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being a sponsor to the Super Nice Club Nice Work podcast. I almost forgot to get that plug in. I usually forget to get our sponsor plug in. Sorry, sponsors. I mean, mm-hmm. listeners. I mean, members. Shanti, thank you for being a member, for delivering this information. Please thank everybody at Tenants Together as well for the work that they're doing. Nonprofit work is largely unrecognized, so just want to give a, a high five to everybody out there.
0: Thank you. I will. I will, I will air five them via Zoom. <laughs>
1: Okay, Air 5, that, zoom. that works. Yeah. Zoom 5, I'll Zoom 5. <laughs> zoom 5, yeah. yeah. No, really, thanks for your time today. I do appreciate it. And good luck with your work. Keep us posted. I'll sign up for the email list. But if there's a big change, if you ever want to come back on and tell the world about it, you're well, always welcome.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
1: And so there you have it, a super nice conversation with Shanti Singh of Tenants Together. I hope you guys get involved. Go to Tenants Together's website, Volunteer, sign the petitions, sign up to the uh, newsletter. I've done these things, so you can too. My big takeaway on this conversation, really, that I keep thinking about, is you know how nonprofit executives and employees don't get paid a lot, and shouldn't they be getting paid more than their counterparts in big business finance? Uh, technology. I mean, these are the people who are actually fighting to save and change and and help people. Uh, Don't we want the people working on ending poverty and homelessness and disease and climate? Don't we want them to be the best and the brightest? I think we do. I think we do. And I think that it is unfair to criticize nonprofits when they have high overhead costs, when their salaries are high. They should be high. They should be the highest, just like teachers. You guys, it's true. I'm I'm speaking real truth here. This is real talk. I didn't just invoke R. Kelly, did I, on a Super Nice Club podcast? God, that's gross. Anyway, if you'd like to get more involved with Super Nice Club and you're not already following us on Facebook and Instagram, please do. We can have great conversations there. To become a Super Nice Club insider, just text, grab your phone right now, text 310-421-0393. Just text something like, what's up? That's all you need to do. What's up? To 310-421-0393. You will become a super nice club insider, which means you get free stuff, contests, invited to events, post-COVID, local events, uh, and just some nice reminders from time to time. No spam. Won't try to sell you anything. And that's it, you guys. Thanks so much. Please subscribe, comment, all that kind of stuff. Share these podcasts if you like them and have a super nice day, week, month, year, Life, all of it, all of it. Who oh, wants to be nice? Don't you want to be
0: one of the people in the super nice club? You.